The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Your host, J. Paul Newman of the Monthly District Attorney Show, will now take you on a journey to explore recent Rutherford County court cases, cold cases, and more. The viewpoints and opinions expressed on this broadcast are the viewpoints and opinions of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints and opinions of this show, its host, or the management of this station. You are listening to WGNS. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts today are Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we also thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, We thank you for listening. We will begin our broadcast after you listen to these important messages. This is Amanda at Animal City inviting your family to come shop with my family here at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. We have a variety of toys to offer the necessary enrichment for almost any type of pet. Whether you're looking for a climbing tower for your ornamental shrimp, something to keep your hedgehog happy, or a kitty condo, you can find it here at Animal City. We carry products to make your life with pets easier. Come check them out at Animal City. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the new menu items that we have added is our Salmon Imperial. Our Salmon Imperial is a fresh cut piece of salmon with shrimp and a crab meat blend and then we've put our alfredo sauce on top of it. It's great for a low-carb diet that you can get with spinach, but also it just has an amazing flavor with a mixture of all those flavors between the shrimp, alfredo, and then our salmon. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. If you're not waking up to the Wake Up Crew, here's what you've been missing. News, traffic, weather, and fun. (laughs) Don't miss the Wake Up Crew with John, Ryan, and Dalton. News, traffic, weather, and fun. Weekday mornings from 6 until Swap and Shop. A search for truth. My name is J. Paul Newman. It is my hope that by presenting these cases today and asking for the community's help that the persons responsible for these murders can finally be held accountable, that the families of these victims can find some degree of closure, and that the victims of these murders will ultimately see justice served. 
This is our community, and these cases are just a sampling of the many unsolved homicides that have occurred in Rutherford County. We owe a debt to the seemingly forgotten victims of homicide, a debt that can only be paid with truth and justice. Every homicide, every rape, every robbery affects the entire community. People who are victims of these crimes need closure. The people who committed these crimes must be held accountable. Law enforcement needs the community's help in seeking justice. Please listen as we review an unsolved mystery. 16-year-old China Bidian was last seen by her mother the evening of October 19, 1999 at the Murfreesboro Hair Salon. China Vidian left the area of the hair salon driving her black 1999 Mazda Protégé. That is the last time China Vidian's whereabouts can be established. That is the last time anyone has reported seeing China Vidian alive. China Vidian was five weeks shy of her 17th birthday when she disappeared. The young teenager was a part-time employee at the new Bilo supermarket at the corner of Rutherford Boulevard and Southeast Broad Street. She was also a junior at Riverdale High School. Her mother, Suzanne Vidian, became worried when China didn't answer pages or return home at her curfew time. Suzanne Vidian called law enforcement and reported China Vidian missing in the very early morning hours of October the 20th, 1999. Her report began an investigation by the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Before 3 a.m. that morning, a statewide be on the lookout for was issued for China Vidian and her car. Despite the concentrated efforts of concerned friends, family, and law enforcement, the investigation did not uncover any significant leads as to the whereabouts or welfare of 16-year-old China Vidian. A break in the investigation came in June of 2000. China Vidian's car was discovered in the parking lot of a Nashville apartment complex located just off Interstate 24 at Harding Place in Antioch, Tennessee. The car was processed for evidence by Metropolitan Police. The police at that time theorized that China Vidian's car had been in the apartment complex parking lot since shortly after she disappeared. The theory was supported by certain items that were found in the car. Since the investigation began on October 20th, 1999, until now, investigators from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office have developed and investigated hundreds of leads. Several persons of interest have been interviewed, but no one has been charged. In 2007, China Vidian was legally declared to be dead. Despite the best efforts of family, friends, and law enforcement, the China Vidian disappearance remains an unsolved mystery. The family, friends, and law enforcement officials now ask for your help. If you saw China Vidian near the day of her disappearance or have information concerning what may have caused her disappearance, please contact law enforcement officials. We specifically ask if you were a friend, a classmate, or co-worker of China Vidian and have never talked to the police, please contact law enforcement. China Vidian was a 16-year-old child the day she disappeared. The people who loved her have had to endure the agony of not knowing what happened to her. You may have the missing piece of the puzzle that solves this case. If you have any information regarding the disappearance and fate of China Vidian, 
we urge you to please contact the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. In 1985, 68-year-old Elizabeth Shannon, a native of Scotland, was spending the winter with her daughter in Smyrna, Tennessee. Elizabeth Shannon's daughter was married to Clyde Stewart, a highly respected teacher at John Coleman Elementary School. The Stewarts lived on Rebel Drive in Smyrna, Tennessee. January the 18th, 1985, started off as any other day. Clyde Stewart and his wife left home that morning to go to work. Elizabeth Shannon remained at the residence, just relaxing and enjoying her visit. All was well, or so they thought. That afternoon, everything was about to change. As Clyde Stewart arrives home, he notices that his front door has been kicked open. When he enters, he finds 68-year-old Elizabeth Shannon on the floor. It is obvious to him that she is dead. Mr. Stewart calls the Smyrna Police Department. The police investigation determined that the home had been burglarized and that Elizabeth Shannon had been shot to death. Despite the best efforts of law enforcement, Elizabeth Shannon's killer remains at large. If you have information regarding the murder of Elizabeth Shannon, please call the Smyrna Police Department. The number to call is 615-459-6644. That number again is 615-459-6644. Please help us bring justice to the person or persons who committed this brutal crime. Help us provide closure to the family of Elizabeth Shannon. Pam Miracle was last seen alive on July 25, 1991. Pam Miracle was employed as a nurse's assistant at the Boulevard Terrace Rehabilitation Center here in Murfreesboro. She also lived in Murfreesboro, sharing a Division Street apartment with her boyfriend, who was a cab driver. The couple had access to one car, a 1976 Pontiac Aster. Pam Miracle's boyfriend picked her up from work on July 25, 1991. He reportedly drove her to and dropped her off at the old Greyhound bus station near the intersection of Manny Street and Broad Street. That was the last time anyone reports seeing Pam Miracle alive. Pam Miracle's family lived in the state of Ohio and had limited contact with her because of that. Approximately two weeks after that July date, on August the 9th, 1991, Pam Miracle was reported missing by her work supervisor at the rehabilitation center. The supervisor told police that Pam Miracle was last seen at work on July 25, 1991. The Murfreesboro police go to the couple's Division Street apartment, and there they locate Pam Miracle's purse and her personal belongings. Weeks later, on August 27, 1991, the couple's 1976 Pontiac is located. The car was found in the parking lot of the Windmill Bar, which was located on Northwest Broad Street near what is now Thompson Lane. Then, 10 months after her disappearance, Pam Miracle's lifeless body was found off an access road next to I-24 in Smyrna. 
The family and friends of Pam Miracle and law enforcement officials now ask for your help. If you saw Pam Miracle near the day of her disappearance or have information concerning her disappearance or death, please contact law enforcement officials. We specifically ask if you were a friend or co-worker of Pam Miracle and have never talked to the police that you please contact law enforcement. The people who loved Pam Miracle have had to endure the agony of not knowing who killed her or why. You may have the missing piece of the puzzle that solves this case. If you have any information regarding the disappearance and murder of Pam Miracle, please contact the Murfreesboro Police Department. It was the early morning hours of April 24, 2006, that Annalise Guerra was reported missing from her home in Smyrna, Tennessee. Annalise's mother reported that she had last seen her daughter the night before after putting her to bed. Her mother said she woke up in the middle of the night and discovered that Annalise was gone. She told investigators that Annalise Guerra was last seen wearing a small jean dress with little sunflowers. The Smyrna police exhausted every lead. The media was utilized in an effort to keep the public aware, hoping that someone would find Annalise. Law enforcement and community members conducted an extensive search of the Smyrna area, even draining Stewart's Creek. Over 60 people were interviewed, but despite the best efforts of the Smyrna Police Department, no one could locate two-year-old Annalise Guerra. It would be over 20 months before there was a break in the case. On January the 4th, 2008, a couple walking in the Stones River National Battlefield found what appeared to be skeletal remains. The remains were later identified to be the remains of Annalise Guerra. The medical examiner ruled that Annalise Guerra died from blunt force trauma. Another interesting aspect of the case was that the clothing her mother described when she first talked to the police was found nearby. This led investigators to believe that Annalise had been killed around the same time she disappeared. The person who killed two-year-old Annalise Guerra is still at large. It is a case that the Smyrna Police Department continues to investigate. They remain dedicated and confident that this case can and will be solved. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. 
Good morning. They're putting out a car fire in Rutherford County. We're looking at it live here on 24 eastbound at Sam Ridley Parkway. We're just glad it wasn't over in the westbound lanes or we would have a massive backup. Again, it's in the eastbound lanes of 24 at Sam Ridley on this car fire they're trying to put out. It's still crowded down through Millersville on 65 southbound. Still a lot of volume on I-40 uh, going westbound, coming through Hermitage and Donaldson. Prince's Hot Chicken has you covered for the big game coming up. They can help you with catering. Check them out at princesshotchicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck. Chuck with your on-time traffic. Weight loss has always been a struggle for me, but thanks to Magnolia Medical Center, I'm finally on the right track. A talented team of experienced medical professionals work together to achieve success for their patients. Magnolia Medical Center can help you live a healthier life. The semaglutide injection has helped me to lose 60 pounds, and I've actually kept it off. Begin your weight loss journey at Magnolia Medical Center. Thank you, Magnolia Medical Center. Online at magnoliamedicalcenters.com skies become mostly sunny this afternoon, high in the mid-60s. Northwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 36. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 38. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney General, Jennings Jones, and today I will be your tour guide through this episode of Inside the Courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go Inside the Courts. On March 16th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Swanson Lane in response to a 911 call. Upon arrival, officers located the body of Thatsophone Cesarino. Mrs. Cesarino had been beaten to death in her garage and her throat had been cut. The victim's husband, Fokem Cesarino, was unaccounted for and later found covered in blood. After conducting an interview of Mr. Cesarino, he was charged with first-degree murder. Detective Richard Presley with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator. Mr. Cesarino is represented by the Office of the Public Defender. On November 1st of this year, the case was bound over to be heard by a Rutherford County Grand Jury. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. On February the 15th of this year, Officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call of shots fired at an apartment complex on Puckett Creek Crossing. Officers discovered the body of Miss Rebecca Stockton on the floor of her apartment. Miss Stockton had been shot multiple times. Detective Julie Cox was assigned as the lead investigator. Miss Stockton's live-in boyfriend, Salim Hamilton, was missing. A, hunt, a manhunt for Mr. Hamilton was ordered, and Mr. Hamilton was located in Corbin, Kentucky. Mr. Hamilton was found to be in possession of the rental car of Miss Stockton and a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Miss Stockton was shot and killed with a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Mr. Hamilton was charged with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Mr. Hamilton has been charged with first-degree murder by the Murfreesboro Police Department and was extradited back to Tennessee from Corbin, Kentucky. A preliminary hearing was held on January 4th of this year, and the General Sessions Court bound the case over to a Rutherford County grand jury. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch, while the defense is represented by Mr. Chris Fisher. 
On February the 13th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call in reference to a stabbing at a residence on Ransom Drive. Upon entry, officers discovered the body of Mr. Philip Maddox on a bedroom floor. Mr. Maddox had been stabbed multiple times. Witnesses on scene advised that Mr. Maddox's roommate, Malik Smith, admitted to stabbing Mr. Maddox. Officers located Mr. Smith, and Mr. Smith confirmed the witness's claim that he had stabbed Mr. Maddox. Detective David Miller of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. After a search of the residence, collection of evidence, and interviewing all witnesses, Mr. Smith was charged with first-degree murder. On May 31st of last year, a preliminary hearing was held, and the court found probable cause to bind this matter over to the grand jury. Mr. Smith is represented by Murfreesboro attorney John Slager. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On March 12th of 2021, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department witnessed the shooting and murder of Mr. Carlos Vasquez and the shooting and attempted murder of Ms. Chilene Zabala Calazo. Officers immediately began a pursuit of the vehicle after witnessing a male in dark-colored clothing exit the vehicle and shoot the victim multiple times. During the pursuit, Marquise Perkins jumped out of the moving vehicle, a van, and fled on foot. Officers pursued Perkins, who was able to jump into a running vehicle left unattended in front of a residence on Minor Street. Another vehicle pursuit began and Perkins crashed into three other vehicles while trying to evade the police. Perkins eventually crashed into the stolen car and was taken into custody. Perkins was found with a cell phone that had the victim's address typed into Google Maps. An analysis of his clothing revealed gunshot residue on his outer clothing, and a live 9mm round was found in his pants pocket. A 9mm had been used to commit the murder. After Perkins jumped from the van, the pursuit of the van continued. The driver of the van also struck three vehicles in an attempt to elude law enforcement. The driver jumped out of the van and ran on foot, successfully evading capture. From information gathered from Mr. Perkins' phone as well as evidence collected from the van, Demetrius Ford was developed as a suspect. Ford and Perkins' DNA were found in the van and Ford's contact information and photograph were found in Perkins' phone. Ford was later located in Detroit, Michigan. A cell phone was taken off Ford's person and revealed that on the night of the shooting, minutes after the shooting, Ford began a texting associates and coordinating with his mother to come from Antioch to pick him up. Ford dropped a location pin on his phone and described the location he was hiding in to his associates to provide to his mother. The location was two streets away from where the van was abandoned. Ford's cellular tower data information tracked Ford coming from Antioch with Perkins, going to the area of the victim's residence, and then text with others about his locations and warnings of police in the area. Ford then traveled back to Antioch and later to Detroit. Three days after the murder, Ford posted a video of himself with a large sum of money. Through assistance with federal law enforcement agencies, it was determined that Ford and Perkins were hired to murder Mr. Vasquez, who was, who was involved in an international drug trafficking and money laundering organization. Mr. Vasquez had subsequently cooperated with the federal investigation against members of this drug trafficking and money laundering organization. An ongoing investigation by federal law enforcement agencies prohibits the release of the name of the organization. 
On January 22nd of this year, Demetrius Ford entered a plea to first-degree murder and received a life sentence concurrent to a 20-year sentence for attempted first-degree murder. On that same day, Marquise Perkins entered a plea of guilty to first-degree murder and also received a life sentence concurrent to 25-year sentence for attempted first-degree murder. Ford was represented by counsel Mr. Jeff Cherry, while Perkins was represented by Mr. Will Fraley. I represented the state in this matter, along with Assistant District Attorneys Will DeMint and Trevor Lynch. On June 27th of 2018, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Mr. Biddle died from his injuries. Officers were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and was attempting to get into vehicles at the Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Sergeant Tommy Massey was assigned as lead investigator. Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence on scene was collected. Upon conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Mustafa went to the residence on Old Las Casas with the intent to commit a robbery. Mr. Biddle was a guest at the residence. Mr. Mustafa entered the residence and attempted to rob Mr. Biddle. During the course of the attempted robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. Mr. Biddle was, however, however, able to return fire, and Mr. Mustafa sustained a gunshot wound as a result. Mr. Mustafa was charged with first-degree felony murder, attempted aggravated robbery, robbery while acting in concert with two or more persons, and conspiracy to commit aggravated robbery. Mr. Mustafa was represented by Mr. Thomas Parkerson. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Ashley Chisholm Hall. Trial in this matter was held between August the 14th and August the 22nd of this year, and a jury of Mr. Mustafa's peers found him guilty as charged. Circuit Court Judge Barry Tidwell sentenced Mr. Mustafa to life in prison for first-degree murder. A sentencing hearing will be held on March 14th of this year for the remainder of his charges. On December 11th of 2021, Dorocas Harris was found to be in possession of marijuana, drug paraphernalia, and a firearm by a convicted felon by the Murfreesboro Police Department. Harris pled guilty to possession of marijuana and drug paraphernalia, but denied possessing the firearm. Harris had previously been convicted on felony drug charges in 2007 for selling cocaine. Harris went to trial on January 22nd of this year and was found guilty of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. At trial, Harris called an ex-girlfriend to testify that the gun was hers. When questioned about the firearm, however, the woman knew nothing about it. She did not know what caliber it was, how to load it, if it was loaded, where to buy bullets for it, or what kind of gun it was. She ended her testimony by saying that she is afraid of guns and doesn't know very much about them. The jury was able to determine that she merely bought the firearm for Harris and had no other involvement with the weapon. Harris was represented by counsel Mr. Jack Mitchell, and the state was represented by Assistant District Attorneys John Zimmerman and Morgan Brown. Harris is scheduled for sentencing hearing on April 25th of this year. On September 27th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to 911 calls regarding gunshots on Gunnerson Avenue. Upon arrival, officers located Mr. Javarius Malone. Mr. M Mr. Malone had a single gunshot wound to the chest. Law enforcement officers and EMTs worked to save Mr. Malone, but he did not survive his injuries. 
Detective Cody Thomas with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as the lead investigator. Upon interviewing witnesses, obtaining apartment complex security video footage, and using cell phone and GPS data, Corey Mansell Lillard Jr. and a juvenile were identified as suspects. At the conclusion of Detective Thomas's investigation, Mr. Lillard and the juvenile were both charged with first-degree murder, employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and attempt to sell a Schedule I drug. A preliminary hearing for Mr. Lillard was held before a Rutherford County General Sessions Court, and upon hearing proof presented by the state, the case was bound over to the grand jury. Mr. Lillard was indicted in February of 2022, and he was represented by counsel Mr. Thomas Maynard, while the state was represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Matt Westmoreland. On November the 9th of this year, Mr. Lillard entered pleas of guilty to facilitation to first-degree murder in attempt to sell a Schedule I drug. Mr. Lillard was sentenced to 20 years to serve at TDOC. Mr. Lillard also entered pleas of guilty to the charges of aggravated assault, theft over 10,000, and five counts of auto burglary. A trial is scheduled to begin in February of this year on Mr. Keon Tucker for allegations of uh, two counts of first-degree murder, then one count especially aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, employment of a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, tampering with evidence, and possession of marijuana. Mr. Tucker is represented by Mr. Luke Evans, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Tammy Reddick. A trial is scheduled to begin on April 1st of this year on Mr. Chris, pardon me, Mr. Chris Robinson and Mr. Chris White for allegations of first-degree murder, aggravated burglary, especially aggravated robbery, especially aggravated kidnapping, employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, a, a convicted felon being in possession of a firearm, and tampering with evidence. Mr. White is represented by Mr. Paul Bruno and Mr. Robinson by Mr. Rob McKinney and Brian Lewis. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Ashley Chisholm Hall. A trial is scheduled for May the 13th of this year on Carmen de la Cruz for an allegation of second-degree murder. Mr. Cruz is represented by Mr. Brendan, pardon me, Brendan Foy and the state represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. A trial is scheduled for May 20th of this year on Gregory Lyons. Mr. Lyons faces charges of first-degree murder, attempt to sell a Schedule I drug, conspiracy to sell a Schedule I drug, and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Lyons is represented by Mr. Will Fraley, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Matt Westmoreland. A trial is scheduled to begin on September 23rd of this year on Yo Sincere Fomfan for allegations of first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, felon in possession of a weapon, and tampering with evidence. Mr. Fomfan is represented by Mr. Jack Missel, pardon me, Mitchell, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Haley Ranieri. A trial is scheduled for November the 18th of this year on Irwin Odom, for the allegation of first-degree murder, Mr. Odom is represented by counsel Mr. Josh Crane, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. On air, online, and on the phone. You can listen to us anywhere. News Radio WGNS is Rutherford County's place to talk. Don't feel left out of the conversation. 
Call Dr. Sean Lancaster with Hearing Aid and Audiology Services. If you've been struggling with your hearing, I encourage you to give me a call, Dr. Sean Lancaster, and take a free hearing aid test drive and see for yourself how much hearing aids can truly help. As a leader in environmental services, sustainability is deeply integrated into our business model. At Middle Point Landfill, we are environmentalists at heart. We use cutting edge technology in combination with our deep experience in recycling and waste services to protect our environment and our neighbors. That's our job and that's our promise. We invite you to learn more about us at middlepointlandfill.com. For public services, we are sustainability in action. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What's the Law? Today's episode is going to be presented by our legal intern, Chadwick Doherty, who is a first-year law student at Nashville School of Law. Chadwick, tell us about this episode of What's the Law? Hello all, I'm Chadwick Doherty, and today I'll be discussing the topic of hearsay. There are three major factors when determining if a statement is hearsay. First, the statement is made as an assertion. This statement is generally written. However, it can be an oral assertion as well. There are instances where nonverbal conduct is intended to be an assertion. Second, the declarant makes the statement. Third, the statement by the declarant is given by another person in a trial or hearing for the truth of the matter asserted. The truth of the matter asserted section is very nuanced and the fact that there are exceptions to hearsay that do not fall under the prescribed exceptions given to us in the Tennessee Rules of Evidence. First, if someone offers a statement that is considered hearsay, but the statement is not offered for the truth of the matter, but explaining why they did something, then this would not be considered hearsay. Another example is when someone offers hearsay statements, but the statements are used to impeach the witness. The difficulty with for the truth of the matter asserted comes down to the assertion or lack of assertion of a statement. Depending on how the statement is used, and if there is a chance the statement is implying or asserting a fact, then it is hearsay. Hearsay is not admissible by law unless it falls under a hearsay exception. Some of you may be wondering why there is hearsay and the purpose of it. Mainly, it is to make sure the statements offered in court are trustworthy and reliable. Remembering statements from a third party can be quite difficult if years have passed since the statement was made. However, there are constitutional issues that arise with the hearsay rule. One example is when, he- is when hearsay would operate to deprive a defendant of his right or her right to present relevant and reliable evidence that is critical to establish a defense. The rule against hearsay must yield to the defendant's constitutional right to present a defense. This means If hearsay would keep certain statements out and cause the defendant to have no defense, then the statements could be admissible. Time and time again, cases have stated only the trial court can determine if a statement is hearsay and whether it is admissible through an exception. 
there are a multitude of exceptions to the hearsay rule. However, we will look at just a few of them. The first exception for the day is excited utterance. This is a statement relating to a startling event or condition made while the declarant was under stress of excited excitement caused by the event or condition. This definition provides possible scenarios as to when a statement could be hearsay, but under this exception, still be allow allowed in a trial. An example of this could be a serious car crash, and a witness to this crash makes a statement about who hit whom, or if someone was texting while driving. If these statements are made quickly after the crash, then these assertions could fall under the excited utterance exception of hearsay. The closer in time between the incident and the statement made by the declarant, the better it is for the hearsay exception. But this is not always the case. In one case, a person made a statement many hours after the crime was committed. The court reasoned, even though over 12 hours elapsed from the murder until the accomplice statement, the accomplice was under stress from the traumatic events as evidenced by the fact that he was crying and upset when he made the statements. Another exception to hearsay is statements for purpose of medical diagnosis and treatment, which are statements made, obviously, for medical diagnosis and treatment describing medical history, past or present symptoms, pain or sensations, or general character of the cause or external source thereof as reasonable pertinent to diagnosis and treatment. The court has reasoned over time that a person seeking medical aid or assistance is more likely to be truthful in his or her assertions. People are generally truthful when they go to the doctor and inform the doctor of any ailments he or she is facing. However, the personnel for this exception, exception has generally applied to only physicians, and this has been upheld by higher courts by denying the hearsay exception for nurse practitioners, psychologists, and other medically related or professionals. Public records and reports can also fall under the hearsay exception. Unless the source of information or the method of circumstances of preparation indicate lack of trustworthiness, records, reports, statements, or data compilations in any form of public office or agency setting forth the activities of the office or agency or matters observed pursuant to the duty imposed by law as to which the matters was a duty to report. However, matters observed by police officers and other law enforcement. A few examples of this exception are officers' reports from a car accident, a breathalyzer test that has been authenticated, and documents filed to the state will fall under the public record or report exception of hearsay. The medical examiner reports, autopsy reports, are admissible. However, if there are conclusionary statements about the victim's reputation for violence, by looking at a previous scar or broken bones, the statement or statements will not fall under the exception. The last exception of the day is a statement under belief of impending death, or better known as the dying declaration. This is a statement made by a declarant while believing that the declarant's death was imminent and concerning the cause of circumstances of what the declarant believed to be an impending death. The logical reasoning behind this is similar to the excited utterance exception. 
and the purposes of a criminal trial, it can only be used for the homicide of the declarant. The statement must be surrounding the circumstances of the declarant's death. This is all the time I have for today. Hopefully you have a better grasp for the hearsay rule and some of its many exceptions. The monthly district attorney show heard exclusively on news radio WGNS the first Friday of each month. If you missed any part of this program, it will be available shortly as a podcast on the WGNS website. As we end our program today, we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. We leave now by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This is J. Paul Newman bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.